The Holy Gospel for Christmas, Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and the family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, Fear not, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven, and on earth peace to all people on earth. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. My soul proclaims your greatness, O God. Please be seated. Grace to all of you and peace from God, our Creator, and from our Lord and from our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Most holy God, on this most holy moment in the year, Christmas Eve, with the darkness surrounding us and the light of your presence in our midst, we open our hearts to your coming. May you be present in us as certainly as you were at the manger. May we receive you that we might be inspired to be your people in the world in this coming year. May we be your voice and may we be your hands that the world might be served through us. In your holy and most gracious name we pray. Amen. Well, the Christmas story that I read just now is so familiar that I hardly have to read it to you. All I need to do is say, in those days a decree went out from Emperor Augustus and you know what's going to come. You'll hear about Mary. She's with child. Joseph is by her side. You picture a donkey. They're walking, making their way from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. They get there. There's no place for them. It's a crowded town. The inn is full. They go to a stable. You picture the animals. They're all around. It's warm in there. And then the shepherds are out. It's cold where they are. 
And in the night sky, a light show. Angels singing, talking, telling them about the Christ child in a manger, in a feeding trough. They go down searching for the Christ child. And there they see, they know, they get on their knees. This is the presence of God in their midst. And they return with great joy. We all know that song. It has become so familiar and so sentimental and so cozy that it tends to lose some of the theological power that's in the story. It's a wonderful story. We love to tell it every year. It matches up with our season because this entire season of the year is a season of expectation, of dreams, of the way things could be. You remember those old songs that we used to hear on movies and radio? I'll be home for Christmas. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. There are so many expectations for the world as it should be, for our lives as they should be. In a moment, we're going to be singing Silent Night, Holy Night. We're going to turn out the lights. Silent Night, Holy Night. All is calm. All is bright. Even though it might not be all calm or all bright in our world, we sing it and we yearn for that moment, this moment, the late night service on Christmas Eve. There is something in us that's yearning for holiness, for what Christmas represents, for respect and kindness and compassion between peoples, for hope and confidence, friendship and love, which we all want deep, deep inside. We want all those things. The story has become sentimental, familiar, and cozy. It's cozy together. We should have a fireplace off to the side. But let me tell you, when this story was first told in the first century, 2,000 years ago, it was not familiar, it was not cozy, and it was not sentimental. It was rather a revolutionary story that shocked people of the first century. We have lost a lot of that sense of what this story was about for them. So tonight, we're going to go back to the first century and take a look at the way people lived back there and the way they understood God. Certainly, God would never, ever be talking to a teenager. If you're going to approach God, you go to the temple, and the temple is huge. It's the biggest building in the country. It's covered with marble and gold. You've got a priesthood that controls access to God who lives in the temple. So if you're going to get close to God, you go through the institution. You go through the power people. You go through the structures. God's not going to be talking to a teenager. I mean, our story has become so sentimental that... It's almost impossible for me to kind of shake us and say, okay, this is what it was really like to hear that story in the first century. It threw everything up. The only way I can do it is to do this. Try to imagine if God were to do it now in the 21st century. Who would be Mary? Who would be Joseph? Maybe a teenage girl in inner city Detroit who just lost her job. Maybe a 
refugee from Guatemala who's walked a thousand miles and now is camped out on the south side of the Arizona border. Maybe that would be the Mary. Maybe the Mary would be a teenage girl living in a tent under an overpass in downtown Seattle. See, I've got your attention now. That's what it was like for the first century. It was like God doesn't talk through teenagers. It challenged the entire structure of the day. So this story is filled with some deep lessons. So I'm going to take you from the sentimental side of the story into the powerful interpretation of the story. The first lesson. There's only going to be three. You know, three-point sermon? One, two, three. So this is number one. Number one is, what I just said, is that God can work and often does outside the system, outside the institution, outside the structures, outside the religious rituals. Now that's hard for me to say because I represent all those things. I mean, but if I take this Christmas story seriously, that God talks outside the system, then that's got to mean that God can and does speak to us outside of churches and pastors and religious rituals. That God's ahead of us out there in the world. It is often the case, and I'm a little embarrassed by this, that Christians think that we have all the answers. And they don't, whoever they are. So we've got the answers. We'll bring it to you. We have the insight into God's will. You don't, so we'll help lead you to God. If we take this, ser this story really seriously, then we take seriously that God speaks through teenagers, through people we would never expect. And it changes our attitude to the world around us, you see. Instead of a sense of, well, we're, we're saved and, you know, you're lost. That's all gone now. We don't know. We don't know where God is going to land, through whom God is going to talk. And so we go into the world attentive, listening, we share our story, our experience of who God is in our lives. Of course we do. We share a story of who Jesus is for us, but we also listen carefully to that homeless person on First Avenue. You never know. That's the first big insight, that God is at work in people we might never expect. Do you see how when we just let the story be sentimental, we miss that? Here's the second one. And it's pretty obvious. In this story, God is described as coming to us as a baby. Okay, that's pretty obvious, right? And, I mean, do we all love babies? Yes? So... They must have a newborn over there. <laughs> well, you've got a baby in a crib, and you look at the baby, and what sound comes out of your mouth? Oh, yeah. That is pure sentimental, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful to have that, because they're a lot of work, too. But the po theological point here is we're talking about God. I mean... 
the God who lives in that big temple in Jerusalem, the God who creates the universe, becomes helpless and weak and powerless. That's a powerful theological statement. Normally, we think of God as up there, away from us, able to kind of do things to us down here. Most all of us have that concept of God up there with power and could do things if God wanted to. And so it leaves us with a, the obvious question, well, there's a lot of evil in this world, God. Why don't you do something? Or I've had a really hard time. I've had a terrible hardship. God, why didn't you do something? Because our God is up there. But in this Christmas story, God is down here with us. What if we took really seriously that part of the story that God is vulnerable with us and couple that with the Good Friday story where God actually dies with us, then that changes our whole response to those questions. What does God do about it? What does God do about our suffering? Well, God suffers. And God dies. Which God do you prefer? One who stays safely up there and chooses to help some and not others depending upon how well you pray? Or a God who chooses to come and sit with us in the back of the barn? We've all been in the back of the barn or will. It was revolutionary to think about God that way. To think about God coming to us and being present with us. Have you ever had someone sit with you when you have suffered? They don't have to take the suffering away. They just have to sit with you. And there is something, and I'll, this word I choose on purpose, there is something salvific about someone sitting with you in your pain. That's salvation for me, folks. That's the God I want to believe in. That's why the Christmas story is so powerful and important. It's more than sentimental. So those are the two points. One more to go. Remember the first two? Number one, God works through unexpected people in unexpected places, which leaves us very attentive and very respectful of people not part of our tradition. The second point, God becomes vulnerable. And God does something about suffering. God suffers. The third one. <clears throat> if God can work through a teenager 2,000 years ago, is it not possible that God can work through you and me? Now, you may not be a teenager. You may not be living in poverty. You're probably not pregnant. But you're ordinary. Sorry. <laughs> We're all... We're all quite ordinary people. And, you know, we can't change the world. We can't make that big a difference in this world. 
But that's how God always does it. Always, not just Mary, but everywhere in the Bible. It's always people who are ordinary, who often object, no, I don't want to do that. That's how God does it. That's how God brings our heart's desire to reality. Our heart's desire will be evident when we sing Silent Night together. We don't have to explain it. We feel it. We feel the yearning deep inside for friendship and for love and forgiveness and compassion and kindness for a good world. Even though the world the rest of the year seems so disjointed and dark. That's why we hold our candles and sing in the dark silent night. For yeah, the story is sentimental. And maybe that's the whole point, is that it carries with it our dreams. Which can seem like a mustard seed compared to the reality of the world around us. A little mustard seed of a perfect world of kindness and compassion but a little mustard seed can grow into the mightiest of shrubs where all the birds of the air can find their nesting. Why not you and me as Mary and Joseph? Why not you and me giving birth to that seed of life? The dream that we sing to in a few minutes. That was point three. Let us pray. Most holy God. It is warm, cozy, comfortable. We have heard your familiar story again. It gives us hope. Now tonight, you have taught us some things, O oh Lord, that you can work through people we would never expect, that you become completely vulnerable with us, and that we too can give birth to God's love in this world. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Page 10, please stand.